Oh, good evening, everyone. Uh, it's great to see you tonight. It's a great joy, isn't it? Thanks, Troy. Thanks for saying hello. It's great to be, uh, great to be welcomed. But it's a great joy, isn't it, that we have as God's people meeting today, particularly on Easter Sunday, as we remember uh, the great news of the resurrection. So how about we uh, pray again and ask for God's help as we look at his word. Our Heavenly Father, we give you great thanks that we can meet together as your people tonight. We, Father, we thank you that all the scriptures point to your Son, the Lord Jesus, and that we can see in his resurrection the fulfillment of all your plans for this world. Father, help us to see this and may it shape and change us as we live this life today. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. As we've been reminded already in our meeting, at the heart of Easter is this incredible claim, a claim that Jesus, a dead man, came back to life. And it's a remarkable claim when you stop and think about it, isn't it? That this man, Jesus, that he lived and walked on this earth as real as you and me, that this man was crucified, that he was nailed to a wooden cross and there left until he was dead, that his dead and lifeless body was taken down off the cross and laying in a tomb. The claim of Easter is that man, that crucified one, he rose back to life again. It's incredible, isn't it? Such a a remarkable claim to make. And yet this claim lies at the heart of Christianity. The Apostle Paul wrote in the New Testament this. He said, If Christ has not been raised, your faith is worthless. You are still in your sins. We should be pitied more than anyone. It's pretty stark, isn't it, from the Apostle Paul writing in the Bible. He's saying if this claim that a dead man came back to life, if that claim is false, then Easter, church, Christianity is a complete waste of time. And for those here tonight who call themselves Christian, well, they are to be pitied more than anyone. It's pretty stark, isn't it? But on the other hand, if the claim is true, if Jesus really did rise to life again, then surely that changes everything, doesn't it? Because here we have someone who has defeated once for all our greatest enemy, defeated death itself. If it's true, surely Jesus is a man we want to listen to. And so this morning we're going to engage with two questions. The first one then is the question of, is it true? How confident can we be in this claim of Easter that Jesus, a dead man, came back to life? But the second question is also important. It's the question of so what? If it's true, what difference does it make? How should it change and shape our life today? And so to answer those two questions, we're going to be looking at the Gospel of Mark. And as we heard earlier, tonight is our our final talk in our Mark series. We began actually May 2014. That's when we began with Mark 1.1. Now, we've looked at other things in between, okay? We've looked at other series, other books of the Bible. But it's been an amazing series, hasn't it? It's such an encouragement to, to hear on the video of how people have been encouraged and to see just how amazing our Lord Jesus is. And we've seen some pretty cool things in his life. We've seen him teach with authority. We've seen him heal the sick. We've seen him drive out demons. We've seen him offer the forgiveness of sins. We've seen him calm storms. 
We've seen him bring a dead girl back to life. And it also, through Mark's gospel, we've seen the opposition against Jesus. How the religious leaders, how much they hated him. Out of jealousy, how much they wanted him dead. And so, of course, it was the religious leaders who were seeking to kill him. They arranged with the Roman soldiers that, that Jesus would be put on trial. And though there was insufficient evidence... Jesus was condemned as worthy of crucifixion. And that's really where we've come to in the story, isn't it? On Good Friday, remembered Jesus' death. The sentence carried through. And you'd have to feel for the followers of Jesus at this point, wouldn't you? Those who had left everything. Those who had given their life to follow this man. The man they thought was from God. The man they thought was God's promised king. And yet imagine their grief and their pain and their despair as they see this one that they followed, as they see his lifeless and dead body taken down from the cross and laying in the tomb. It really would have been a a great time of grief, a tragic time for those who follow Jesus. And that's where we pick up the story tonight with these three women, three women who had followed Jesus. Look there at verse 1. When the Sabbath was over, Mary Magdalene, Mary the mother of James, and Salome bought spices so they could go and anoint him. So these are three women, they'd, they'd follow Jesus. And these events that Mark tells us about happened on Saturday night. So Jesus, he was crucified, Good Friday. But the Sabbath, the Jewish holiday, started on sunset of the Friday. That's why Jesus, having been confirmed dead, why his body was sort of hastily taken down off the cross and and laid in the tomb so that it could be done before the Sabbath began, before sunset came. So because of that, the women didn't have time to anoint his body. So now Saturday night, the end of the Sabbath at sunset, will the women go out, they buy their spices to anoint their body. But they don't go that evening, no, they wait until the morning, Sunday morning before they go and visit the tomb. So look there, verse 2. Very early in the morning, on the first day of the week, they went to the tomb at sunrise, and they were saying to one another, who will roll away the stone from the entrance to the tomb for us? Now we see quite clearly that the women knew where they were going. In fact, Mark tells us, chapter 15, verse 47, that, that Mary and Mary had seen the place where Jesus was laid. So two out of the three women had already been to the tomb. They didn't go to the wrong place. No, they they knew where they were going. They knew on the way that there was this this large stone that blocked the entrance of the tomb. And as they walked there, they were expecting to find, well, a sealed tomb and a dead body. They're they're still carrying in their hands the, the spices with which they can anoint his body. So you can imagine then their total shock and surprise. Well, look there, verse 4. Looking up, they observed that the stone, which was very large, had been rolled away. Now you can imagine for these three women, as they sort of turn the corner, as they see the open entrance to the tomb, that their hearts sink. I mean, surely someone has broken into the tomb, right? And they're left wondering, what has happened to the body of their Lord. 
Well, plucking up their courage, verse 5, when they entered the tomb, they saw a young man dressed in a long white robe sitting on the right side. They were amazed and alarmed. Now, the appearance of this man, this long white robe, confirms that this man was sent from heaven. This is a a messenger from God, an angel. This is confirmed for us in the, the other gospel accounts as well. But you also see it in the reaction of the women, how they respond to the appearance of this man. Uh, Mark tells us they were amazed and alarmed. I think it's much stronger than that. These women were were totally freaking out at the appearance of this, this heavenly messenger sent from God. But if they were shocked at his appearance, even more his message, look there, verse 6. Don't be alarmed, he told them. You are looking for Jesus, the Nazarene, who was crucified. He has been resurrected. He is not here. See the place where they put him. So you can imagine the shock for these women. They come to the tomb expecting to see a dead body. They'd seen the body placed there. And yet it's undeniable. The tomb is empty. The body has gone. They see the place where the body was laid with their own eyes. And they hear that remarkable explanation. Jesus is not there because he has been resurrected. It's incredible, isn't it? Imagine that the shock of these women to hear such an explanation for the empty tomb. But of course, the women, they were not to be the only witnesses of these things. So look there, verse 7. The angel says to the women, Go, tell his disciples and Peter, he is going ahead of you to Galilee. You will see him there just as he told you. And as we look at other parts, other gospel accounts from the Bible, we see that's exactly what happened. Right? So Jesus went, he appeared before Peter and the disciples. In fact, there were many witnesses of the risen Jesus. And so convinced were the disciples that Jesus had risen that many of them actually went to their death because they proclaimed the resurrection. See, they were eyewitnesses. They saw Jesus. Some of them touched him. They touched his side. They touched the the holes in his hand. So convinced were they of that truth that some of them willing to die for that claim. But one of the things that's really interesting about Mark's gospel is that Mark doesn't tell us that. Do you notice that? Look there, verse 8, how Mark ends. It's such a, such a kind of abrupt ending to his account. So verse 8, the women went out and started running from the tomb because trembling and astonishment overwhelmed them and they said nothing to anyone since they were afraid. It's such, a, such an abrupt ending, isn't it? It's such a shock that Mark would end in that way. Now, if you've got your Bible there, you'll see there's actually a couple more verses. So verse 9 through to 20. But if you look at the very end of verse 20, there's a, uh, a little footnote. <clears throat> it says this, Other manuscripts omit bracketed text. So what we have are there's some, some reliable, uh, old, trustworthy manuscripts that have Mark's Gospel finishing at verse 8. But then there's some other manuscripts that have this, this so-called longer ending. And so what's happened is that over time, a, a, a copyist, someone writing out Mark's Gospel, I mean, they didn't have photocopiers back then, right? So if you wanted a copy of Mark's Gospel, 
you had to write it out by hand. Right? So some well-meaning scribe, he's copying out Mark's gospel, he sees it ends in verse 8, and he thinks, come on, Mark, you can't leave the readers there. That's a terrible way to end. Look, I'll help you out. I'll do you a bit of a favour. I'll write a little bit more for you. Right? And so they've added in this, this extra bit, drawing on the other gospel accounts. But as you look at the manuscripts, it's quite clear that, no, Mark deliberately chose to finish at verse 8. That's where he intended to finish. But the question we have to ask is, well, why? Why would he do that? Because you've got to see, friends, that that's a choice that Mark made. I mean, Mark would have known that Jesus appeared to the disciples. Mark would have been able to find out what he'd said to the disciples after he'd risen. The evidence suggests that that Mark actually was an associate of Peter, the Apostle Peter, one who had seen Jesus with his own eyes. So so Mark knew what had happened. He makes this deliberate choice to finish in verse 8. And the question we have to ask is, well, well, why? Why would he do that? Well, I think one thing that, that helps us out is actually to go right back to the beginning of Mark's Gospel. So it's going to come up on the screen. You can turn in your Bibles if you like. Mark chapter 1, verse 1. And uh, I'll, I'll read it out to you. Mark 1, 1. Uh, it says this. It says, The beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. Now, when I was in, uh, in high school, right, a long time ago, and uh, in English, my uh, English teacher, Mrs. Phillips, uh, taught us about how to write essays. And she taught us about topic sentences. I don't know if familiar to anyone. I think Mrs. Phillips was very proud that I remembered something from uh, you know, in English. But anyway. But the idea of a topic sentence is that when you're writing an essay, at the start of every paragraph, you have this kind of topic sentence that, that tells you what the paragraph is about. Right? Makes sense? Yeah? Yeah, good. Okay. So what we have in Mark 1, the first verse of his gospel is kind of like a topic sentence, but not, not just that it explains the paragraph. This is what his whole gospel is, is about. This is why he's writing. He's writing to show you that Jesus, that he is the Christ, that he is God's promised king. He's writing to show you that, that Jesus is the son of God. And his, his point, what Mark is all about, is showing you the identity of Jesus. He wants you to see who Jesus is. That's what his gospel is all about. That's why he's written these things. So if you come back to chapter 16, verse 8 again with me, you can see how the resurrection is is very important in that. I mean, one of the reasons that we know that Jesus is the Christ, we know he's the Son of God, is because he rose to life again, right? The resurrection confirms his identity. So if Mark's writing then, he wants us to show who Jesus is. But why does he finish like this? I mean, he could have finished like Matthew. Matthew did a pretty good job finishing his gospel. He talked about how Jesus said to his disciples, all authority on heaven and earth has been given to me. So go and proclaim it to all the nations. I mean, that would have shown quite clearly Jesus' identity, wouldn't it? But no, Mark chooses to end in this way. And I think there's, there's three reasons, perhaps, of why he's done it. The first is, is that it confirms the accuracy of what Mark's telling us. 
Because the response of the women, as striking as it is, is exactly what you would expect to happen if this was real life. Right? Imagine three women, three women who'd, who'd followed Jesus, they'd been with him, in the depths of their grief, as they reflect on the death they have seen, the brutal crucifixion. They go to the tomb expecting to find a sealed tomb, a dead body. When they get there, the tomb's empty, the body is gone, and this angel tells them that he's been resurrected. Well, how would you expect them to respond? Right? You'd expect them to be terrified, right? You'd expect them to, to run away and not say anything, because who would believe such a crazy story? See, the fact that Mark records it for us It's exactly as we would expect it to happen. And so it confirms for us the truth of what we read. But secondly, I think the reason that Mark leaves us with this very striking, very emotive image of the women is that he wants to highlight who Jesus is. Because if you think about what are they terrified about? They're terrified about Jesus, aren't they? They're terrified that this man they thought they knew, this man is no longer dead as they've seen, but he has been raised to life again. I think it's a little bit like Mark chapter 4. Remember when, when Jesus was out on the boat with his disciples, this great storm comes, and with just a word, Jesus stops the storm. And what do the disciples do when they get out of the boat? They're terrified. They're scared of Jesus. And they say to one another, who is this? Even the wind and the waves obey him. And that's exactly the same response we see from the women. They're terrified. Terrified. This man they thought they knew has been raised to life again. And we see the significance of who he is. He is the son of God. So in the reaction of the women in their terror, It points to the identity of Jesus. It shows us that he really is this powerful son of God. But thirdly, as Mark leaves us with this image of of the women and how they respond to Jesus, I think he wants to provoke the reader of Mark's gospel. That's, That's you, by the way, right? We're reading Mark's gospel. He wants to provoke you to think about your response to Jesus. I mean, you've seen how the women respond in in fear and terror. But how will you respond? Who do you say Jesus is? And you've seen Mark's account. You've seen the evidence for the empty tomb. You've heard the message from the angel. He's been resurrected. So who will you say Jesus is? Will you go with Mark? Will you say that he is the son of God? But that leads us to our second question, doesn't it? The question of so what? If it is true, if Jesus really did raise to life again, if he really is the Son of God, well, so what? What are the implications? What what difference does it make to us today? Well, unlike the other gospel accounts, Matthew, Luke and John, Mark doesn't tell us about how Jesus appeared before his disciples and he told them the implications for the resurrection. He doesn't tell us about what, what, what Jesus said. He doesn't give us the so what. 
So what we need to do then, if we want to understand the so what of the gospel, of the resurrection, we need to go back and reread Mark's gospel in light of the end. We read it again knowing that Jesus rose to life again. And that's where we'll see the so what. Now, we've got lots of different places in Mark's gospel, but, but I think most clearly we see it in Mark chapter 8, verse 34. So it'd be great if you've got your Bibles. It'll come up on the screen again, but if you've got your Bible there, may as well turn it up. Mark chapter 8, verse 34. Okay, here we go. Mark eight thirty-four. As summoning the crowd along with his disciples, he said to them, If anyone wants to be my follower, he must deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. So we see quite clearly here, this is Jesus speaking about what it means to respond to him. He's not just speaking in the first century. He says, look, no, if anyone, anyone wants to be my follower, well, they must deny themselves. They must say no to themselves ruling their own life. They must take up their cross, be willing to suffer in the name of Jesus. And they must follow him, must be willing to obey him, to bring every area of their life under his lordship. So that's what it looks like then to respond to Jesus. But then verse 35, he gives the reason why. He says, for the reason is, whoever wants to save his life, will lose it. But whoever, sorry, whoever loses his life because of me in the gospel will save it. Now, if you just look at verse 35 again for a moment, right? Just if you just look at it by itself, it, it doesn't actually really make sense. Did you see that? He, he says, if you save your life, you will lose it. If you lose your life, you will save it, right? What's going on? Doesn't doesn't really make sense, does it? But what we have to do is is read it in light of the end of Mark's gospel. Read it in light of the resurrection, knowing that Jesus rose to life again. Because when we know that Jesus rose to life again, we know that this life is not it. Life is not just the, the period between well, when you were born and when you die. No, no, there's more to life and we know it because Jesus didn't stay dead. He, he rose to life again. And so what Jesus is saying in, in verse 35 is he's putting before those who's listening to him two, two options, two, two ways of living. He's saying, look, you can, you can save your life now. You can, you can live your own way following your passions and desires. You can ignore God. But if you do that, you will lose your life. You will lose that life forever. In fact, you will face the consequences of your rebellion. I mean, Jesus spoke most plainly about the realities of hell and the seriousness of those consequences. But on the other hand, he says, whoever loses his life, if you deny yourself, take up your cross and follow Jesus... Well, friends, you will save your life. You can look forward to to life forever with him. Life beyond the grave. And yet, friend, this, this, this hope of the future, 
It's not based on ourselves, is it? it? It's based on Jesus. Our confidence is in him. Our confidence is, well, that he died in our place. That his life was given as a ransom for many. Our confidence is in his resurrection. That he was the first of many to rise. Our confidence is in him. And so if you look at verse 35, there's only two options, aren't there? Only two ways of living. You can ignore God or you can follow Jesus. There is no middle ground. See, I think if you asked people today, if you went out into our community and asked people, do they think there's more to life than what they see? I think if they're honest, most people would say yes. That as they look out on our world, as they see the the pain, as they see the brokenness, as they see the heartache, as they see the disappointments, as they see the violence. I think most people, if they're honest, would say, look, there must be something more. There must be something more to life. And yet, friends, do you see how Jesus offers more? He offers life beyond the grave. And it's not some wishful thinking, some vague hope that things will sort of work out in the end. No, friends, it's a certain hope. A hope based in the reality of Jesus' resurrection. A hope based in the angel's message. He has been resurrected. See, friends, I hope this year in Easter, Easter 2016, I hope and pray it would be a time where you see our confidence in the resurrection, that we can know for certain, yes, Jesus really did rise to life again. But that, friends, you would see the implications for that. You would see because of what Jesus did back then, because of his resurrection, well, friends, we can be confident of the future, this future life forever with him. And it's as we look forward to that certain hope, well, it fills us with comfort now. It brings joy now. It brings a sense of purpose now as we look forward to that life forever with him. And of course, friends, it's as we focus on this, as we see just how incredible that will be. Well, it makes perfect sense, doesn't it? That we would deny ourselves take up our cross and follow him. How about I lead us in prayer? Our Heavenly Father, again we give you great thanks that we can meet together tonight as your people and we can come together to celebrate the great news, the great news announced to those women all those years before that Jesus has been resurrected. Father, help us to be confident in this reality. Help us delight to delight in the wonderful news of Jesus' resurrection. And Father, may it give us such a sense of hope for the future, a hope grounded in reality, that we would look forward to and long for the day that Jesus will return and that we will live forever with him. Father, we pray that the hope of resurrection would shape our life now 
that we as your people, that we would deny ourselves, that we would take up our cross and that we would follow him. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.